Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. An Elio's original. Hello and welcome to Web Crawlers, the podcast where we do a deep dive into some of our favorite unsolved mysteries. Each week, we will introduce our topic, lay out our research and findings, reveal some conspiracy theories, and conclude with our own hypothesis. Who knows? We might even solve a case. I am Ali Siegel. I'm Melissa Stettin. And I'm Maria Producer. <laughs> Web Crawlers has a Patreon. Melissa, did we get a hundred thousand? I know we were at like ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety four. We are so close to getting a hundred thousand listeners in the past month. We're at ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety four or something. I think that we'll make it to a hundred thousand, right? We will. So okay, so we have a Patreon because we got a hundred thousand listeners in a month. I will record myself reading Bigfoot erotica and put it on the podcast. I mean, put it on the Patreon. It says here in mine that you've, in the last 30 days, only had 98,106. So this has been a lie. Allie's face is, she's shocked. We're not even close. I feel like at the end of May, we're going to have 100,000. I don't know. I, I think I think it's hopeless. I don't know. Ugh. Don't say it's hopeless. As your producer, as your producer, no, as your producer, I just want to tell you that I think it's hopeless for you guys. <laughs> That's cool. I take it back. I'm not going to officially do it. <laughs> so then you guys really have to tell your friends and make sure you listen every day and like tell your coworkers, your friends, your family. 
if you want to hear me do that Bigfoot erotica on Patreon, you guys got to get us to 100,000 listens in a month. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five-star review, screenshot and DM it to us, and we will shout you out on the podcast. Erios also has a hotline. 626-604-6262. It's really been popping off, and we get like a bajillion uh, messages a day, and we love listening to them, and we love playing them. We will play them on our Friday mini episodes. Melissa, who are our patrons for today? We have David B, Rebecca P, Rebecca Y, Whoa. Katie C, Marcos M, Stacy C, Kayla R, Natasha A, Shay K, Rachel B, Chris W, Matt, Marissa A, and Noel B. Welcome. Wow. A lot of new patrons. Thanks, guys. Uh, you guys are going to get to hear me probably read Bigfoot erotica. So good for you. <laughs> Congrats for you. Do you think I should order a Bigfoot costume off Amazon and read Bigfoot erotica while dressed like Bigfoot? Yeah, 100% yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Melissa, what is our main story for today? Our main story is about the Waco siege. Yes. So it began in early 1993 when a government raid on a compound near Waco, Texas, led to a 51-day standoff between the FBI and members of a Christian sect called the Branch Davidians. And the siege ended dramatically on April 19, 1993, when a fire burned down the compound, mm. leaving about 75 people dead, including 25 children. Horrible. What exactly happened to cause this disaster? Let's, Let's get, get into, into it. it. The standoff between federal agents and members of the Branch Davidian Church came to a fiery end 51 days later. Their leader, David Koresh, a self-proclaimed son of God. Tell them there are children and women in here and to call it off. They would do anything for this man. So here's what happened at Waco. So on February 28th, 1993, about 80 agents from the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, a.k.a. the ATF, raided this religious compound near Waco, Texas, after receiving reports that the Branch Davidians and their leader, David Koresh, were violating gun laws. There was a shootout, four ATF agents and six Davidians were killed, a ceasefire was arranged, and almost 900 law enforcement officials surrounded the compound, including hostage negotiators and FBI agents. So reporters arrived on the scene as well, and the 51-day siege that followed would play out on TV screens and in newspaper headlines around the world. Despite some early negotiating successes, the Davidians sent about two dozen children out in exchange for food and other supplies. Numerous children remained inside, and many of them were David Koresh's children with multiple women. Yeah. So here's some background on the Branch Davidians, the people who were at this compound. So in the 1930s, a disgruntled member of the Seventh-day Adventist church named Victor Hotef had broken away and started the Davidian movement. 
This guy, Victor, died in 1955, and in 1959, his widow, Florence, took over. She said that Armageddon was about to happen, and she asked everyone to relocate to this compound called Mount Carmel, which is near Waco, Texas. So they did. And then everyone waited, but then nothing happened. Mm. So this failure led to a guy named Ben Roden starting an offshoot of the Davidians known as the Branch Davidians. Mm. So this guy, Ben, he died in 1978, and then his wife, Lois, was 65. She became the head of the Davidians. But then in 1981, this 22-year-old guy came in to join the compound. His name was Vernon Wayne Howell. This guy started hooking up with Lois. Whoa. He was, what, like 40 years younger than her? Yeah, what a cougar Lois was. What a cougar. Lois already had a son named George who had planned on taking over the Davidians when Lois got too old, but Lois didn't have confidence in her son, so she started grooming this 22-year-old dude, Vernon, to be the leader. Wow. So Lois then claimed that she got pregnant by Vernon, which is like, mm, you're 65. I don't know if that is possible. She said, no, she, I think she must have been through menopause already. She said that she was carrying, quote, the Lamb of God, mm. but then she had a miscarriage. I recently got an allergy, food allergy test, and it turns out I'm allergic to lamb. Really? Yeah, just side note. So then she said she had a miscarriage. Mm. So Vernon, this guy, 22 year old, he turned the miscarriage into a sign that she's not the chosen one, that he must be the chosen one. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Maybe his sperm was bad and he's not the chosen one. That's so stupid. Yeah. So then Lois died shortly after that, just of natural oh. causes. So Vernon and Lois's son, George, they got into a disagreement over who was going to take over this compound. And then Vernon and seven followers got into a gunfight with George, and George was shot in the head and the chest. Oh, my God. And then he didn't die, but Vernon and all his followers went to trial for attempted murder. Oh, shit. And the seven other men were acquitted, and Vernon Howell's case ended in a mistrial. Whoa. Because everyone thought this guy, George, was like, oh, he's crazy anyway. Like, his mom runs this cult and blah, blah, blah. So then Vernon took over control of the Branch Davidians, this 22-year-old, and he legally changed his name to David Koresh. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. He's the 22-year-old who came waltzing in there and was hooking up with Lois. So he changed his name, David Koresh. Koresh is the Hebrew translation of Cyrus, the ancient Persian king who conquered Babylon and allowed the Jews to return to Israel. Whoa, that's interesting. I have a weird note that like probably should come in later, but the Branch Davidians, uh, once David started leading them, like their followers came in from everywhere. And I mean, I was reading one of them was a, a woman named Margarita Vega, and she was a socialite in Hong Kong. Like oh, these really? weren't just like... Yeah, these weren't just crazy people who were oh. following David. They, I mean, there was a slew of and a diverse group of followers who were actually like changing their lives because they really believed in him. Okay, so what do they believe? Uh, the Davidians believe that bi the Bible is literally the word of God. They looked to it for clues about the end of the world and Christians se and Christ's second coming. It's very doomsday-ish. The outside world is where sin comes from, which is why they isolated themselves. 
However, David Koresh uh, called himself the sinful messiah. Ooh, hot. <laughs> I mean, right? So that would be a good shirt, sinful messiah. So he thought that like the messiah, what's so funny? That's a good Your ideas are good. They're good. <laughs> we sell a lot of merch. We do. Is that capitalizing <laughs> on Waco, though? Like, is that disrespectful? I was thinking maybe. maybe. it's questionable we're gonna get a a message being like that was rude like half the things i say need to be cut out (laughs) he thought that that the messiah shouldn't needs to know what sin is so that he can teach people what not to do oh sure that's a cool loophole. It is, right? Uh, which is how you know, like, it's a cult, um, which is why he thought it was important for him to have experience, like, drinking and with drugs and, like, with rock and oh. roll, and, like, with having sex with multiple women. He also taught what was called the seven seals. Right. Which are the seven seals of God. And the opening of the seals of the document occurs in Revelations chapters five through eight and marks the second uh, coming of Christ and the beginning of the apocalypse. So he would teach like the whole foundation of his uh, branch of Davidians was teaching these seven seals and the coming of the apocalypse. There's a lot of like, and he wrote a whole like manifesto because I think like, oh, right. Cult leaders like love manifestos. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and he, like, I think it's like one of the rules. He he wrote a manifesto on the seven seals. And if you want to read it, it's on the internet. We're not going to read it here. Okay, so who is David Koresh, also known as the sinful messiah he had a rough childhood his mother was 14 years old when she had him he dropped out of school he was part of uh the evangelical church but was kicked out when he tried to hook up with the pastor's teenage daughter saying god had ordered her to marry him Uh oh and that's like the foundation of almost everything he did he was like god i mean he thought he was talking directly to god um and uh like was a disciple of god and would be like god is ordering me to have sex with this like 11 year old girl i mean he was messed up he also played the guitar and sang you know a fun fact about his guitar you know that matt gorley owns david koresh's old guitar oh i didn't know that how explain I don't I don't remember the full story, but I know that he bought it from like a used store. And after he bought it, the owner was like, you know, this is David Koresh's old guitar that he left behind and like his old roommate just gave it to the store or something. He's not sure if it's 100% true, but like he's owns David Koresh's old guitar. Whoa. That's got to be worth a lot of money. Matt Gorley is Amanda. Yeah. Amanda Lund's husband. That's crazy. Whoa. Yeah. Also, like he was good at guitar and singing. Like it, it. Oh, his he has some. There's music online somewhere. Yeah, and there's footage of him playing. Like he was good, and it, he's also, I will say, hot. Okay, okay, just get it out there. We're just gonna get it out <laughs> there. Get it out there early. <laughs> so in 1983, he claimed that he was the chosen one and a prophet, and began leading the Branch Davidians. He married a 14 year old named Ugh. Rachel Jones. He was 24 at the time. And this was legal under Texas law because her parents gave permission. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) It's insane. Well, because her parents are like part of the cult too. And they're like, oh, well, God wants this. Okay. To the Branch Davidians, Koresh was, quote unquote, the lamb, the only one, according to the book of Revelation, worthy of unlocking the seven seals and teaching everyone about the Bible. 
This title that he had given himself allowed him to justify some of his controversial practices, like taking various, quote unquote, spiritual wives. Some were as young as 11 years old. Uh, gross. Yeah. And the girls were like honored, uh, allegedly. Like yeah. they were so brainwashed that they were like, it felt like they were like marrying God, they said. Of course, like I think for those who lived and then you see interviews with them now, they were like, that was mm-hmm. not great. Uh, women who are already in relationships with men other than David Koresh were told they could only have sex with David because sex was no longer for pleasure, it was only for procreation. So no one on the compound was allowed to have sex, even if they were married, except with David. And he was the prophet. So all the children should come from him. And also he would hold church services where all he would do was play his guitar for hours and no one could leave. What a nightmare. Like he would just like jam. That is my worst nightmare. (laughs) Just jamming and like no one could be like, I gotta go. It's like you had to sit there and listen. That is like the worst. I can't even imagine anything so bad. Have you ever had a man play as like serenade you? No, no I. You know what I have? Actually, well, no, I have. It's a nightmare. <laughs> it is like a living nightmare. So then, there's also obviously a lot of child abuse and rape. Uh, yeah. This is from Wikipedia. So he was uh, involved in multiple incidences, obviously, of physical and sexual abuse against his children. He had, as we said, multiple spiritual marriages uh, to both married and single women. So some of his spiritual wives were married to other people um, by law. But then he would be like, God is telling me that I need to have sex with your wife and then she needs to be my spiritual wife. Crazy. The doctrine uh, and his revelation said that he needed to have 24 children by chosen women in the community. Wait, did he, is this what he made up that he needed 24 yes. children? Yeah, he made up that he needed 24 children by chosen women in the community and that those children would serve as elders after the return of Christ. One of his chosen women was an underage girl, Michelle Jones, who was the younger sister of one of his wives. Oh, his wife, Rachel, who was 14. So she was like... Yeah, he was the younger uh, sister of his wife, Rachel. And Michelle was like the daughter of like one of the lifelong uh, members of the cult. So he had like seen this girl grow up. And then when she was... Oh, gross. Yeah, so then when she turned 11, he was like, that girl needs Uh. to be my wife. These poor parents are probably like, you already married our 14-year-old and now (laughs) you want to marry our 11-year-old. Yeah. It's not funny, but it's crazy. Um, A six-month investigation of sexual abuse allegations by Texas Child Protection Services in 1992 did not uh, turn up any evidence, but mostly because the uh, cult concealed any uh, spiritual marriages and also assigned surrogate husbands to some of the quote-unquote spiritual wives. So, for example, David uh, Thibodeau, who is one of the survivors of the cult, and wrote a book about it. Oh, right. He was, um, didn't Rory Culkin play him in the yes, Waco series? in the show. They forced him to marry Michelle. Oh, right. Yeah, to kind of hide that. any stuff that David Koresh was doing. Also, some of the youngest girls on the compound who were like 11 year old, 11 years old, were given plastic stars of David as an acknowledgement that they had the quote unquote light 
and were able to have sex with Koresh. Oh, God. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad. It's funny because, like, where where was that special from? Netflix? I it, Yeah, it's on Netflix currently. There's a lot of shows about Waco right now, and there's a, sh- there's a series on Netflix, and it's starring the guy from Friday Night Lights. Oh, Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch and like they're so pro Waco in this in the series yeah you watch it and you're like Waco is good like we fucked them over so hard and like we probably we didn't handle the situation correctly Mm -hmm. but then you watch actual documentaries on Waco and you're like oh this guy's actually bad and was like having sex with children and yeah I remember watching Waco and I was like they're all misunderstood this is misunderstood But no, yeah. it was a sex <laughs> they cult. They were bad. Yeah. So if you watch the Netflix, if you watch the Netflix special, make because sh- after I watched that, I was like, I was riled up. I was like, we need to apologize to everyone in Waco. Like, this is horrible. Um, and then I watched a documentary and I was like, oh, he's actually bad. Like, you need to watch oh, both. Yeah. Whoops. If, you ha- if you're coming to this with no informa- prior information, the, the make series sure on Netflix in- is, is really good. Yeah, it's gr- it's amazing. It's great entertainment, but it also yeah. has <laughs> yeah. a, it has a strong point of view. Yeah. And it's pro Waco. <laughs> Okay, so the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearm Involvement, they set up across the street, like a little shack, um, and they were tipped off by a delivery guy who saw inside a damaged package. He was delivering something, and he saw inside it was full of guns and ammo. And so he went to the police and was like, uh, I'm delivering guns and ammo to this like religious compound. This seems suspect. And so the ATF were like, yeah, we need to look into this. And they were concerned that they were turning all these weapons into machine guns. So they wanted to raid the compound. So they like set up across, I don't know, like a half mile away. They set up to like monitor the compound. And one of the agents that was living across the street from them was Robert Rodriguez. He acted as an undercover agent. He went inside the compound as like, oh, I'm interested in joining the Davidians. But David Koresh was like initially suspicious of him. Right. But David Koresh, being like this insane narcissist, he was convinced that he could convert him. Like he knew something was up with Robert, but he's like, you know what? I'll convert him. I'm that good. Yeah, he loves a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So then Robert goes back to the compound. He, about eight times over the next few months to get to know David and to look around and to like, you know, see if there were all these weapons in there. And so the day of the raid, so the ATF finally sets up a date for the raid. And that morning, Robert Rodriguez goes to the compound to hang out with David. But somehow the media was alerted to the raid. Either Oof. someone leaked the info to the media or the ATF did it themselves, which makes no sense because why would they want Waco compound to know that people are coming? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, it's weird. And a news truck on the way to the compound got lost. And so it stopped to ask a postal worker for directions to the compound. <laughs> well, the postal worker asks, well, why are you going there? And the news truck Guy says, well, there's a raid happening. Oh, my God. Well, the postal worker just happened to be a member of the Branch Davidians. Oh, shit. So he, you know, peels out of there, goes to alert the people like a news truck's on the way. He said there's a raid happening. So they were prepared. 
They knew what was about to happen. And so this guy, Robert, this undercover agent, he was inside when this postal worker comes in to tell them about the raid. So Robert is like, uh, he goes back to the ATF house and was like, they know about the raid. We can't do the raid. They're prepared. And the FBI says they're still going to go through with it. They're like, fuck it. We're going to do it. That's so dangerous. Yes. So at 9 a.m., they send an 80-vehicle convoy to the compound in two helicopters, and the shootout begins. Oof. And so... All because they think they have machine guns? Yes. Yeah. And why did they have so many guns? That's, That's debatable. That's like... Some people say it's because like they were just stockpiling them for like when the end of the world happens. And some people say that they were planning on like massacring a bunch of people. Weird. It was illegal. Well, I don't know if it was illegal because they weren't. One of the allegations was that that they were turning them into assault rifles or or whatever machine, machine guns. guns but they were yeah. all they were all normal. They weren't doing that. Right. And then also also they said that they were stockpiling weapons for if they were ever raided by the government. Mm-hmm. And then they were raided by the government. Yeah. And the government didn't try to talk to them first. Of well, like, hey, we hear you've got. Well, this is what happened. This is the whole 51 day. You just wait. By the way, there's like a gorgeous cardinal bird. Like it's red. It's small and it has like a red. It flew away, but it was gorgeous. It just, it just. Wow. It's a sign. It's a sign. Yeah, it's beautiful. By the way, I woke up this morning. You know how I put that corn on the cob outside for the smells to get? Yes. I I woke up at 7.30 a.m. this morning, and I went and I looked out the window, and there was one eating <gasps> it, and I, I, my face lit up like a Christmas tree. Did oh you take God, a picture amazing. of it? Yeah, but we've got a screen in front of the the window like a you know so it didn't it couldn't get a good picture but then i went and woke craig up i said a squirrel's there a squirrel's there and he was like leave me alone <laughs> yeah he said he said what what are you doing no he said take a picture but um <laughs> he said take a picture it'll last longer <laughs> will you tell us so our listeners our listeners have some reference uh what you're talking about i just tied a, a dried corn a cob Corn, corn, corn on a cob to this cornucopia. Cornucopia. <laughs> I tied a dried corn on the cob to the um, to the tree outside our apartment, and um, just been spending a lot of my day looking out there, waiting for a squirrel to come and get a little nibble. That's great. I love that for you. And finally, and finally it happened, and he had a friend. Because I saw him looking down as he was eating one of his kernels. And then when he was done, I saw them run off together. Like, oh. um, like the sword in the stone or whatever. Like Thelma and Louise. Yeah, like Thelma <laughs> and Louise. Right off a cliff. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So they call a ceasefire. And thus begins the 51-day standoff. Damn. So the FBI negotiators and the hostage rescue team disagreed on how to handle the standoff. The hostage rescue team was frustrated by how slow it was taking to come to an agreement, and they used aggressive tactics like playing loud music 24 hours a day. They were shining insanely bright lights into the compound so they couldn't sleep, and they started crushing their cars. It's insane. Yeah, the music they played were, these boots are made for walking. That's so bizarre. Oh yeah, that's like one of the, there's a list of like top torture songs. I'd be so, it's alley time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's alley time. I've had la, la, la. <laughs> I'd be so offended. <laughs> I'd be so offended if I wrote a song and then it oh turned into the top torture song used by the FBI. Eleven popular songs used by the F but used by the CIA to torture people. What are they? What are they? Real Slim Shady. Oh really? Take your best shot by Dope. Dirty by Christina Aguilera. What? Stop it. Babylon by David Gray. Babylon. <laughs> Why? Well, that's so <laughs> random. I love you by the Barney theme. Oh, Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night the Fever. The Meow Mix theme. The beautiful people by Meow Mix. Meow Mix. Did you say Meow Mix? Meow, meow, yeah. Meow, meow, oh my god, that would get meow. annoying. I like chicken. I like liver. Meow, meow Mix. Meow, meow Mix. Please deliver. Hold on. I like the beautiful people by Marilyn yeah, Manson. Yeah, right? Yeah, I guess it's too. just because it's super loud. and Yeah. I mean, over and over again. Well, I don't hours. You, and I don't need you. Oh, my God. Marissa. <laughs> Marissa. Oh, my God. Marissa. <laughs> Marissa. I did just call you Marissa. That's your Marissa side coming out. And we are the champions. Oh, weird. Oh. I can see how I that could be like a threat. Played over and over. Yeah, any song over and over again. Yeah. These boots are made for, made walking, for walking. walking. 
And, and that's, that's just what I'll what do. do. One, One of these days, these boots geez, are going to walk all over you. Enter Sandman. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the song about crib death. Uh, is that really what that's about? Yeah. Oh, my God. Matchbox 20, Cold. No. Ellie's favorite band. Which song? Cold? I don't know. Play cold. it. I've never heard it. It goes... That's not helping Prince, me. Raspberry Beret. These just seem like... This is just what plays on the radio. Like, what... I think that's a nice song. If that's torture, then torture away, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then torture me, sweetheart. Torture me, Rob Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so during the siege. I how do you pronounce I pronounce it siege. Siege. Am I saying siege or siege? I'll look it up. Oh, I'll look it up. Gotta warm if you up. You guys need it. Siege. Oh, siege. Hargy. Siege. Oh, I it siege. It's cool. You sound like French. During the siege. <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew that it's was not. coming. It's not how you pronounce siege. Pussy. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Penis. That- <laughs> uh, so during the siege. Lunchbox. In- <laughs> what? Lunchbox. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm just a little, a little <laughs> During the siege in mid-April, <laughs> religious scholars reached out to David Kresh through a radio show where they were discussing the teachings of Revelation. So David Koresh sent a message through his lawyer announcing that he had received word from God and was writing his message on the seven seals. Oh, his manifesto. He said, yeah, he said he would come out with his followers when he was finished. So he spent most of his day writing. But the FBI didn't believe him that he would surrender when he was finished writing. But but the hostage negotiator was like, let's just take some time. He said he's going to come out. The FBI was like, nope, no time to wait. So they decided to end the siege. And Attorney General Janet Reno ended up approving a plan to fire CS gas, which is a form Jeez. of tear gas, into the Car- into the Mount Carmel compound to try to force out the Davidians. So just after, a- just after 6 a.m. on April 19th, 1993, FBI agents used two tanks to penetrate the compound, and they sprayed CS gas inside the compound for six hours. That's so crazy. Yeah. And then around noon, several fires broke out around the compound, and gunfire was heard inside. And firefighters didn't enter because of safety concerns, and the flames spread quickly and engulfed the compound. The FBI says that the Davidians started shooting at them, but the Davidians said the FBI was shooting at them. So nobody knows what actually happened. But according to the Netflix, it was definitely the FBI. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Only nine Davidians were able to escape. Investigators later found 76 bodies inside the compound, including 25 children so sad. Yeah, some of them, including David Koresh, had fatal gunshot wounds, which suggests either suicide or murder-suicide. Oof. 
Um, so the legacy of Waco from the beginning, the government's handling of the Waco siege, which played out in national and international media, was heavily criticized. Janet Reno took responsibility for the botched raid, later admitting there was no evidence of ongoing child abuse within the compound, which had been one of the justifications for ordering the gas attack. But there was. David was married right. to 11-year-old girls, right? But is there, is, is there proof of that or whatever? Or is that the government saying that there was a reason for them to do what they did? There's interviews with survivors saying oh, right. that that was the case. So but that, they I didn't mean, I guess have definitive proof. Like they couldn't right. prosecute because they were all lying about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The government maintained that its actions played no role in starting the fires at the Waco compound, but in 1999, it was revealed that some of the gas the FBI used was flammable under certain conditions. There is audio of from inside um, the compound of of the Branch Davidians being like, should we put more uh, gas over here? Like, where do you want me to put the gas? Like, during the fire? So it is alleged that the Branch Davidians started the fire themselves to get oh. rid of some of their documents and well, to get I found rid of some, some audio. evidence. I found some audio here. Oh, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Butthole siege. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah that actually, that, that clears it up. Finding that, yeah, that is what I was, I saw that on some documentaries. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that, and that. That's the evidence of that maybe they started yeah. started the fire themselves. Janet Reno subsequently appointed a lawyer and former Senator John Danforth to lead an investigation into what really happened. In 2000, he concluded that government agents did not stop the, start the fires or shoot the compound. Well, that's uh-huh. just not true. Despite this conclusion, resentment lingered about the government's handling of the situation, which partia- partially fueled the growth of homegrown militias in the United States states yeah the waco siege and the 1992 ruby ridge incident which was bonkers yeah in idaho are often cited by government critics as examples of overreach and intrusion by federal officials have you watched the the ruby ridge documentary no, i don't know what that is what is that that was in idaho it was a guy who was suspected no Udaho. Of- oh, oh no she went there. I am. We didn't think she you was going to go there. She went there. So this guy in Idaho had was like suspected of having all these weapons, and they like the FBI did like a standoff. They ended up like killing this guy's dog. They killed his wife. They were shooting. It was crazy. It was like unnecessary. Oh my god! Because Waco was what ninety two, ninety three. This was ninety two. So that's this is kind of what started people thinking like oh, we need to protect ourselves from the government. Those are the two incidents that were like why people started buying all these guns and having all these arsenals of weapons in their homes. That's why crazy people in Hermosa Beach want to get haircuts during coronavirus. Exactly. Freedom. Freedom. And this also led to Timothy McVeigh in April 1995 on the second anniversary of the Waco siege's end. Timothy McVeigh used a truck loaded with 4,800 pounds of fuel oil and aluminum nitrate to attack the Alfred P. Mura Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma with a total of 168 people killed and some 850 wounded the Oklahoma City bombing was by far the deadliest terrorist attack in the in the United States to that date i didn't know that it was on the anniversary i had no idea either 
That's crazy. I mean, it, it obviously, yeah, like you were saying, it probably influenced a lot of a lot of people to be, you know, anti-government. Uh-huh. Um, so some theories that we have. The ATF was seeking a budget renewal at this time. They needed yeah. a big win in order to be approved, which is maybe why they tipped off the media. Um, obviously, they were hoping that this would be like an easy and a big win and people would be like, yep. way to go for stopping this doomsday cult that was hoarding machine guns. And then it did not turn out to be anything close to that. Yeah, so that's like, because they're still, they don't know who tipped off the media if it was like someone on the inside, but someone are like, oh no, the ATF did it because yeah. they're assholes and they want to be like, look what we're doing. I mean, I think the biggest issue in this whole thing is like men's messiah complex. Yes. I mean, David Koresh is the one who started this or led this cult in the first place. Right. So like, what is a messiah complex? It's um, also known as a Christ complex or savior complex a state of mind in which an individual holds a belief that they are destined to become a savior today or in the near future. It believes that they're responsible for saving or assisting others. It is not addressed in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It seems like it should be because that's, I know a person who's schizophrenic and like one of the symptoms is like, thinking that you are chosen by like a higher power to do something or that you are right like meant to be this god or something yeah so they say that however the symptoms closely resemble other other um, complexes in the dsm including schizophrenia or delusions of grandeur yeah uh schizophrenia or um extreme bipolar yeah so it is like kind of a mental illness it seems like it should be because it's not it's fucked up (laughs) when you like hurt other people because you think you're this like god and this leader well this is interesting Uh the messiah (laughs) it actually it's like scientific it's not crazy the messiah complex is often reported in patients suffering from bipolar or schizophrenia when a messiah complex is manifested within a religious individual after a visit to jerusalem it may be identified as a psychosis known as jerusalem syndrome what I have never heard of that before. Because they got like close to the Holy Land of like, of like being like, oh, if they're religious and they go to Jerusalem, which is like religious Mecca. Yeah. Then, then they could feel so close to Jesus himself. Yeah. It's a form of hysteria. And so what happens in Jerusalem syndrome? Jerusalem syndrome is a mental phenomenon known um, involving the presence of obsessive ideas, delusions, or other psychosis-like experiences that are triggered to visiting Jerusalem. Um, It is not recognized in the DSM. You don't have to have any uh, previous um, mental illness, but you can become psychotic, it says, after arriving in Jerusalem. It's characterized by an intense religious theme and t- typically resolves in a full recovery after a few weeks after leaving Jerusalem. This is so bizarre. There's a lot of articles written about it. Bizarre syndrome makes visitors to Jerusalem go crazy. This That's is so, so weird. weird. 
intense religious psychosis that resolves quickly on departure. It's like we got a vacation high. <laughs> yeah. Just extreme vacation high. Okay, for example, an affected person may believe himself to be an important historical figure, religious figure, or may be influenced by important religious ideas or concepts, such as causing the coming of the Messiah or the second causing of Christ. Um, type two, that's type one. Type two, Jerusalem syndrome superimposed on and complicated by idiosyncratic syncretic ideas this does not necessarily take the form of mental illness and may simply be culturally anomalous obsession with the significance of jerusalem so you're just like obsessed with jerusalem and talking to everyone about it and like saying everyone needs to go there and that like just schooling everyone all the time type three jerusalem syndrome as a discrete form uncompounded by previous mental illnesses the this is the best known type whereby a previously mental balanced person becomes psychotic after uh. arriving in jerusalem the psychosis is characterized by an intense religious character and typically results in a full recovery it shares some features with a diagnostic category of a brief psychotic episode you might receive anxiety, agitation, nervousness, declaration of the desire to split away from the group or the family and to tour Jerusalem alone, <laughs> a need to be clean and pure, preparation often with the, with the aid of hotel bed linen or wearing toga-like gowns always in white, <laughs> the need to shout psalms or verses from the Bible. So this just seems to me like people just feel religious while they're in Jerusalem. Like, why is this a psychosis? Yeah, that's so strange. I wonder if it's like mostly people who are already religious go there and have like this crazy spiritual awakening or something. Yeah, it just feels to me like a spiritual awakening and that you're like, taking advantage of all the spiritual yeah but they're like no they're having a psychotic break like what <laughs> i don't know that seems <laughs> weird, weird. I, if i was to suppo- if i was to go to some sort of like spiritual mecca i would be expected to be living a spiritual life while i was there no yeah yeah maybe if they're saying it's like really incongruous to their usual behavior that's when right. it gets um if they start dangerous. acting strange yeah. If you start if you start a cult from it, that's when it gets bad. <laughs> yeah, if you start a cult, that's when it gets dangerous. So, I don't know, man. I guess like as usual cults are bad. Um they're fun at first and then yeah. they end in death. And then the leader starts having sex with underage girls. That's how they always go. It always goes that way. They're always it always comes to a point where it's like God told me to have sex with a little yeah. girl. And then that's when things get off. T- they go bonkers. Bad. That's when things go bonkers. I wonder if there's ever been a cult that's like good. Um well Lululemon. No, girl, that ended up in murder. <laughs> if any of our listeners know of any like great cults. I would love for them to email and just like let us know if there's any like tight cults out there. Yeah, right? I mean, you never really hear about the good ones. That's the thing. Also, I know that this woman, Lois, uh, was in charge of the Branch Davidians for a little bit, but I would love to know of any like female-led cults. There's got to be some. You know, because I wonder if those cults ended up as bad as the other ones. Something to look into. I don't know. Melissa... If people want to reach us, where can they do so? You can email us at webcrawlerspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Reddit. 
Awesome. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed our show today. Thank you for your patronage. And remember, please, everyone, have one friend subscribe to the podcast because our goal is to get to top 200 true crime. I am Allie Siegel. I'm Melissa Stettin. And I'm producer Maria. Bye. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.